0: to the Remarkable Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Deidre Shen, founder and CEO of Capshow, software that helps entrepreneurs turn their stories into content that converts. Now, we believe that every entrepreneur who has had to overcome their own internal struggles is remarkable. And it is this exact remarkability that needs to be shared so that they can positively impact the world. So stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest in 20 or 25 minutes. So let's go. Hi everyone. My name is Deidre Shen. I am your your podcast host uh, for the Remarkable Entrepreneur Podcast, and I have here someone I'm so excited to be talking to. Uh, this is Steve Hoffman from Founderspace. Welcome, Steve.
1: Fantastic to be here.
0: <laughs> and can you? Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you because I think we're gonna we're gonna have so much to talk about. But. I do want to first, I, I would like to invite you to first tell our listeners a little bit about Founderspace, and then we're going to dive into how, what led you to this point.
1: I'm happy to do so. So Founderspace is an international startup incubator and accelerator. So we started over a decade ago. We've been around a long time worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs all over the world, in Australia, where you're from, in China, (laughs) South Korea, all across Europe. And of course, I am from the San Francisco Bay Area. So we work with a lot of startups here in California and across the US. And I'm also an author. I've published, I've written, and they've been published three different books. So my first Make Elephants Fly is all about how entrepreneurs launch their big ideas, that's their elephants. The second, surviving a startup, is about surviving a startup. And I've been <laughs> through it. I've done three venture-funded companies in Silicon Valley and two bootstrap startups. So I've been in the trenches. I know how crazy it is. I can speak to that. Yeah. And my, I had two books come out this year. The, the third one that just came out, The Five Forces That Change Everything, which is about how technology is transforming our world. And I'm super happy to be here with you.
0: I am so so excited because oh gosh I want to be picking your brain on a lot a lot of things but we're, and we're going to get there we're going to get there but one of the things that um, I do I want to hear about your story because you have a fascinating like five businesses three venture um that were funded two that were bootstrapped and so and I also want to ask you the difference but like can you start from the very beginning like kind of um what what was the journey did some fail did some get hit, huge success like what was that like because I'm sure, I mean, I am also a serial entrepreneur, so I've had my share of failures. and <laughs> my share of all of those things, but I would love, love, love to hear your journey.
1: So I had failures that were very dramatic, successes, and everything in between, like yeah. ev- everything. You know, I started out uh, in film. So I actually got my master's degree from USC Film School. I went out to work in Hollywood. I was quickly promoted up the ladder of this big TV production company to become a development executive. And I was there and I was like, this is interesting, but Hollywood's kind of like, it's all sharks. It's not really what I wanna do.
0: It sounds like a banking world that I came from.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it wasn't uh, exactly, it wasn't (laughs) what I thought it was. So uh, I started to look around and I also have a background in electrical computer engineering. I have both like the art and the science. And I saw that games were gonna be enormous, like games were gonna overtake, and this was in the early days, we're gonna overtake film and television. And one of the producers at the company, his cousin was the founder of this game company called Sega. And at that time, Sega had just surpassed Nintendo to become the number one video game company in the world. So I was like, I wanna talk to him. So I went, I met with him, he was the chairman. He said, I wanna bring somebody over from Hollywood to Japan to work in our headquarters jumped on it. Went to Japan, uh, was designing games for Sega, an incredible experience. We even had at the time, Michael Jackson, we had him in one of our games. He came there. I met him. It was really an amazing experience. But I have always had that entrepreneur itch. So I decided I wanted to start my own business. And I didn't think I could do it in Japan. It's such a different culture than I was used to. And my Japanese was rudimentary at best. So I moved back to my home area, which is the San Francisco Bay Area. And I founded my first company, which was called Lava Mind. Bootstrapped the whole thing. Basically, my mission at the time, and I'm kind of a mission-driven person, like my mission today is to help startups. But my mission at that time was to create games that were nonviolent. So there's so many violent fighting, shooting games out there, but not just nonviolent, but were nonviolent, educational, games, but that were as much fun as any shooter out there. Like you would, you would be as addicted to them as you would be, you know, to a game where you're, you're plowing down people. My, and ironically, the, the, what I chose as my first game is what I do today. It was teaching people to become entrepreneurs, only doing it in (laughs) game form. And the game was called gazillionaire. It was You know, I didn't know what I was doing. My coding was rusty because I had been in the film business for a while. Hadn't coded since undergraduate. And even then I wasn't that great a coder, but I, I got to get, I started coding it. I started doing the artwork myself, got some other people involved. Literally all that money was coming out of my pocket. It wasn't a lot, but I didn't have a huge, you know, bank account at that time. I was still in my early twenties and a. basically put this game out there. And then I was faced with the situation, like who will know I even made this game? Like you can make something, but nobody knows it's there. And this was the early days. Literally, it was so early. The internet was in its infancy. So there weren't like gaming websites you could upload to. There weren't, you know, there was no iPhone and Android. None of these things existed. So this was a PC game because that's what people had in those days. The the cell phones weren't really great for gaming. And I literally uploaded it to what they call bulletin boards, which are these like websites, like text-based, where real nerds would download it. Mm -hmm. And my first sale, and this was my most emotional moment, came when Lord Gek, that's right. Lord Gek bought my first game and literally sent me cash in the mail with a letter from Lord Gek. And that made my day. So we had like one sale and then sales started to trickle in, but it was still small. Most of the distribution in those days was done through retail stores and I couldn't get into those. But what happened was the biggest PC gaming company in in the world at that time was Spectrum Holobyte Microprose and they uh their testers their game testers had downloaded my game from the bulletin boards and they were playing it and they were hooked on it like they loved it oh, awesome. and so they told the president of the company it trickled up to the president that they should acquire this game and basically they came to me and I cut a deal and my game went everywhere, like everywhere. (laughs) And so my first startup was a a huge success. I did a whole series of these business simulation games that were put out there. And it was just a fan. It was like everything happened magically. So that was my first time. And the second time wasn't quite the same.
0: Yeah, because I can imagine that. Um, so you got you got acquired. And did you sort of with that, you just like sign over all the rights and you kind of left and you didn't really have anything to do with your first business anymore? Was that kind of how it worked?
1: Absolutely not. I was <laughs> these were labors of love. Like yeah. it, the games were labors of love. So I'd put everything I have into them, to the artwork, to the stories, to the design. And um with the games, when, when the president came to me, of, of uh, he used to be the, the head of Mattel toy company, but now he's heading this computer game company. And he was starting to negotiate with me. And of course, they're a big publisher. Like you said, they want all the rights for now and every sequel in the future. And I'm who am I? Some person working out of his bedroom, basically, <laughs> trying yeah. to make these products. But I started to sense that he really needed my game. And I was like trying to figure this out. Like, why does he need it so much? Then I heard they let it slip that their big game that they had spent millions of dollars on a Star Trek, their Star Trek game was delayed. It wasn't going to launch before Christmas. And that was the end of their fiscal year. And they needed to book revenue because they were a public company. So they had to show their shareholders that they're booking revenue. And you can book the revenue when the, not when the game sells to the consumer, but when you ship it to the stores, you can book the revenue. So for those reasons, they needed a game like right away. So they were like pushing really hard to close that deal. Soon as I I figured that out, I was like, hey, I don't have to give you everything you're asking for. I can keep all these rights. And I was worried that we were a small game, like indie game, in a big game company, that it would get lost and that they would push it out there for a little while and then forget about it. So I said, no, you can have the rights to our game and push it out there and sell it. But we hold all sequel rights. We can also make a sequel within one year. I pushed every lever I could. Like I drove that guy nuts. (laughs) He was like, what are you doing? And, but he gave in on every turn. He caved on everything. So I owned everything. Like, and I still own it. those games, like Gazillionaire, still you can get it on steam today like all these games i own like so Uh, the beauty of a game is that once you put it out there it can just keep going like if it's good if it's fun people don't care that the graphics are outdated like the graphics on my game were outdated the day we released it like (laughs) this was decades ago but it wasn't the graphics people play for because they were really funky and stuff it was the experience like so you uh so basically I own all those. So it's when I started my, it was three years later that I started my first internet company because that, at that point, the internet was really starting to take off and uh, the games themselves, I just kept them up. They were like, people could play that, you know, they were just an income source and they yeah. are decades later. So yeah. that's the answer.
0: And so at that point, I mean, like that took a lot of balls, you know, like, you know, you were probably one in your mid to late twenties at this point potentially. Um, and you know, you're dealing with pretty senior, pretty, you know, big players um, in your space. And it's hard to say no to that. And it's hard, you know, because time and, and I don't know whether it's a, a female thing or whether, you know, you, you ex- oh. There's a little bit of, you know, I need to get this deal done because this is the thing that's going to make it like this is the this is it. You know, I'm, I'm going to be able to sell this. I'm going to be able to cash in on this thing. I'm going to be able to, you know, um, and sometimes you do just kind of it's hard. It's hard to go to the table and negotiate, and negotiate and drive these people crazy because there's always another part of you that's like, oh, but you know what if they pull out? What if this happens? What is that? Like, how did you work through that?
1: It was very. Uh, it's very stressful because, like you said, you really need them. Like I wasn't going to sell many games except to the Lord Gex out there. And, you know, I, (laughs) how many Lord Gex are there? Uh, There just weren't many people buying my game. So I really needed that distribution. At the same time, I felt so passionately that I wanted to keep control of my baby, my product. And I'll tell you, I closed that deal with them because they really needed it at that time. To, for the reasons I described. But I had offers later come in for my other games from two of the other biggest PC game companies uh, in the world. You know, One was Broderbund at the time, another was Sierra Online. They were the big players in there mm-hmm. um, with Spectrum Holobyte. So they were all competing to get my products. I negotiated, I tried to negotiate a similar deal with those two and it fell through. For my right. other games. It fell through. Uh, it, one of the companies, I just ended up pissing off the person. They said, we don't want to do business with you. <laughs> like you're asking for too much. Nobody asked for this much. We're walking away. And they walked away and I couldn't get them back. Like oh. I blew it because I was like the but, first time I was successful. And the second time that same strategy didn't yes. work. And how did that feel?
0: Like, how did that make you, yeah. What, what were you kind of like? So with <laughs> both
1: of those companies, it would have been enormous deals that mm-hmm. I could have done in both times. I I, I did not do the deal. So I basically, I pushed too hard on broader and They got pissed off, walked away. It felt pretty bad. Like it felt like, oh my God, I blew it with the other uh, company, Sierra online, another big company at the time, uh, in this PC game business, they, uh, I, they weren't giving me the, they didn't get pissed off. I was more delicate with them, but they wouldn't give me the terms I wanted. They wanted, terms that I thought were unacceptable and they wouldn't guarantee a certain amount of royalties based on gross revenue instead of net revenue and all these different things. I felt like I'm not going to get what they're just going to rip me off. So I didn't do. So I cut that deal. And then there was another Scholastic, the big educational publisher came to me. And this is the one I kind of regret the most in that they wanted to put it out to all the schools across the country Yeah, because it's educational. It's fun. It's really great. And they were coming to me. And then they started to want to change uh, my writing in the game, my artwork in the game, characters, names. They go, this name could be offensive to kids or this or that. And I was like, I was at the time in the mode of like, this is my baby. You're not changing it. And I was like, I'm not going to change it. And they walked Mm -hmm. away. So, but that was more for like artistic integrity reasons. So I, I lost three enormous deals after that first big one and i did deals with other publishers uh but they weren't at that level of the the ones i lost you can't go back like you just have to keep going forward like so i blew it a lot of times and did i feel bad yes of course like i never know what would have happened if i'd gone down the other path but what i do know is the games are still quite successful we got it into hundreds of schools on our own literally on our own and um The word of mouth spread. So we did quite well, even without them. I just don't know what it would have been if we had gone down those...
0: Oh, it's one of those things, right, where like I'm, lis- I'm listening to you and I'm like, because one of my things um, that I live by is, you know, to not live with any regrets. Um, and so it just breaks my heart when you're like, oh, this is one thing that I, re-, or, you know, th- this thing I regretted because I'm like, yeah, what could have been? Like that's, you know, and that's the, the reason because it, it plays in your mind, right? Like, oh, what, how different could your path have been? But I also fundamentally believe that we are on the path that we're meant to be on. Um,
1: so that it yeah, had, And had, you had, never had, know. You know, I had another startup venture funded startup later, my second one. And in the very early days before they were bought by Google, the YouTube guys came and offered to buy us. They acquire us. Like, and we said, no, we're doing our thing. So I have this habit of saying, no, I'm doing my thing. You are an artist to to my own detriment. Like and if I were to advise other startups where I'm not emotionally involved, which I do all the time, of course, I'd say you should sell, you know, I was talking to this other entrepreneur I worked with. He said, I just got a buyout offer for like $20 million. And, and I was looking at what he has. And I was like, for what you have, that's at the stage you're at, that's pretty darn good. He turned it down. Like he turned it down, you know, you never know. And I was like, look, you own almost the entire company. It's at an early stage. You can walk away with $15 million after you pay back your investors. Why don't you just sell it and do another company? But you know, you, you don't know, like sometimes that's a mistake and sometimes it's the right choice. I actually faced that with my first venture funded startup, which I did after Lava Mind. So I did a venture funded startup called Spider Dance. And this is. Spider Dance is a crazy store on so many levels. Like, I'll tell you this story. So, first of all, when I started Spider Dance, it was after I did Lava Mind for three years. And I was uh, with, uh, I partnered with one of my friends from film school, my best friend from film school. We had started the company. And our goal uh, at the beginning, our goal was we had this massively multi user uh, game engine to make multi-user games is in the early days where almost no games were multiplayer, right? It was, and we were like, okay, we're gonna do this. you know. And our engineer, he had a brilliant guy, he had built it out. So we start, I started contacting all these game developers to get on our platform and it didn't work because it was so early that none of them uh, wanted to do the type of deal. They were like, well, we'll just build it ourselves even though it was really hard and they weren't going to do it. Or they would say, we'll do it, but we'll just give you a tiny revenue. So that business, it just was a dead end. And this is what I see with a lot of startups today. Like you start something and we were too early. Like it was a great idea too early. We pivoted. And what we pivoted to, okay, we're gonna do our own games. We're gonna do them not, we're gonna, because we don't have a lot of resources, we're gonna do chat based games because at this time little JavaScript had just come out and there are these chat engines. We're gonna make one you can plug into your website and play games as you talk to people. So we called wow. it JabberChat, put it out there. All these hundreds of websites embedded this in their sites really amazing like took off like crazy we submitted it to the big south by southwest conference won yes. first prize on interactive
0: what? yes wow. we
1: were on top of the world we're like this is great we we're funding it ourselves mm-hmm. and we were like we got to make some money now like <laughs> this thing is taken off mm-hmm. so we're like how do we do this oh advertising just came out it just came out on the internet it's the early days we we plugged in little banner ads to our application Mm-hmm. And put them all across the internet with all these users uh, playing it. Yeah. Waited for the check. Guess what the check was? Oh, came to us from the advertising company. This was like yeah. thirteen dollars and fifty nine cents. Like it wasn't enough to buy a pizza for the
0: team, you know? I didn't like it was that long ago that factoring for inflation, it would be like a gazillion now. No,
1: no, no, no. no. <laughs> it was so early, so early. Uh-huh. This wow. is the thing, like if this was like a year or two later, it would have been a different story or, fu- but at this day, nobody is paying for these online ads. They were like virtually giving them away for free. So wow. we had no money. And then we were like, we have to pivot again. Like we can't keep doing this. So we basically, we heard that MTV was going to launch their first interactive TV show on air. And they had Amit Zappa, Frank Zappa's son. It was a music trivia game show. And we were like, Whoa what if we could take our online engine here for gaming and synchronize it to TV broadcast? How cool would that be? Mm -hmm. So we started to like, this is what you do is you hitting dead end after dead end. Like each time you feel bad, like you feel like, Oh my God. And then you just have to search around. Like you have to keep yourself motivated. So we're like, get on the phone to MTV and call them. So we're like, (laughs) <laughs> the name of the senior vice president of interactive at MTV, calling him up and saying, we have the engine. We can do what you want. Just hire us. We're spider dance. He had never heard of spider dance. He didn't know who we are. Um, and you know what? He never called us back. Never. <laughs> but my friend Tracy, she was invited to speak at CES, the big conference because of her previous job. And she went there and she started talking about what we are doing. And she talked about, and this is something you need to do as an entrepreneur. Sometimes you need to talk about what you're doing even before you do it. So she said, we are Spider Dance and we are going to be building out the largest interactive TV platform that synchronizes games to the internet and television, all this stuff. After she was done with her talk, somebody came running up from the audience, pushing everybody aside. He was like, I need to talk to you. She looked at this guy. He goes, I am the senior vice president of MTV. (laughs) You have exactly what we need. He said, I know. I've been leaving voicemails for you (laughs) that you never called back. So, you know, what is the chance that he would be in the audience? Like, what was the chance? Anyhow, we literally, two months later, we had a deal on the table for $350,000. We're off to the races. So happy. Like, so we had this small team. Uh, going to launch this product, but this is, this is brutal. This is where it gets really hard. And this is where entrepreneurs don't know, you know, $350,000 sounds like a lot until you try, you know, until <laughs> you start spending the money, you know, yeah. we had to build our own server systems. They didn't have cloud service at AWS, any of these cloud hosting. So we had to buy these servers, Co- really expensive. We had our en- We had three engineers. That's all we could afford. Huge amount of work. We'd never done this before. MTV was worried. Because in those days, big companies didn't work with startups like they didn't, not like today. They were like very skeptical and Mm -hmm. they're taking a huge chance. And they kept reminding us every single week, you can't screw up. Television doesn't go down. (laughs) Like Television always works. (laughs) We're literally going to take their television show and you could play along online in real time. Had to be frame accurate synchronization, meaning if it was a couple frames off, people could cheat. They could see the answer on TV before they would uh, online, so it wouldn't work. Also, if uh, you know, if it crashes, we actually are feeding the the television scores into the live TV broadcast. It wouldn't work. So there were all these things at stake, and they were hyping it up. They were running ads like day and night for this. This was their big thing. We get to the point. Now we're, we're really low on cash because we had to buy all this stuff to make sure it worked. And uh, we were hunting for venture capital and there were no startup incubators like I run. There were none of this out there. So we finally found a VC firm that was willing to take a chance on us. And there were this big VC firm in LA run by these Hollywood executives. And Michael Milken was on the board, all these like you know, kind of big names. Um, we, we worked out a deal with them and they said they would invest. And we basically negotiated every term in the contract, every term. We, 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 we didn't have the money, but we ran up a legal bill of $60,000 to get this contract done with a law firm. And we were ready for them to sign it. And you know what they said? They said, um, we, we decided to wait. We're like, what? Uh, <laughs> you know, well, we need the money today they go, no, you're only launching in six weeks. We're going to wait till after you launch. If it doesn't work, we're not going to invest. So it has to work. And we were like, but you said, so we're like, we had no choice. We are like, okay. Like it felt like so stressful. Like, you know, we didn't have this money coming in and we we're like, you know, running out of money. So we, we felt like we had no choice. We say, okay, we'll wait w- uh, till it launches. So we're working like crazy day and night day and night super stressful mtv is like really worried that this isn't going to go and it gets to the day of launch so everything's hanging on one day on on one thing everything is uh, this launch right our money everything our reputation everything we push it out there literally we had no way to test this before we ran it because in those days, there's no load balance testing. You couldn't test for what was it like for hundreds of thousands of users to hit our servers at once. Like there was none of this infrastructure out there. We definitely didn't have it. So we were like, we just put it out there like and prayed, like this will work. So it starts going, all these users start flooding in. It's going, it's going, everything was working fine. And then it crashed. Like the whole thing came crashing down like like a minute later the telephone rings and guess who it is the senior vice president of mtv (laughs) and he is freaking out he's using four letter words he's like what the blank is going on here you said this would work this is like live and people can't get in (laughs) Uh i was i said hold on hold on like my heart is like pounding and I'd like, let me contact our engineers and figure out why. <laughs> so I'll call our engineers. They're freaking out. And they're like, no, you don't understand. We've been hit with a denial of service attack. We've been hacked. It's not our services. Somebody's bombarding us like from the outside. And there were no firewalls in these days that you could really set up that, that were that effective. Nothing. It was the early days. So we're like, they're were like, we're going to try to block them. So they get on, and they're b- manually blocking IP addresses, like typing them in and trying to block to keep this this attack from from keeping us, you know, our whole system down. Couple minutes later, goes back up, like they did it. Our engineers literally blocked the denial of service attack, and it was running and it ran smoothly for the whole show. Everything, even the on air feeding the stuff into on air so smoothly. MTV was so relieved. We were like, oh my God, we just, (laughs) we just survived a trial by fire. This is really brutal. Wow. And then what do I do the next day? I call our investors say, okay, everything ran perfectly. We were a huge hit. We have like, uh, you know, it's going to be a million users on our platform. This is like never been done before in history. You guys should be investing. And they said, absolutely. We're ready to invest. But we've changed our mind. (laughs) Uh, we don't want to give you the money at the valuation we promised. Uh, We want to cut it in half, half the valuation that we promised. We were like, you can't do this. Like we signed the whole deal. We waited six weeks. We like did everything you asked. This is why they call them vulture capitalists. Like they saw we were weak, right? They saw that we were running on fumes and we really needed their money. And they thought we're going to get a good deal. So now we're faced with just having no money at all. And this show is running and we got to keep it running. And God knows how long it took us, like, you know, almost a year from when we started, uh, uh, literally a year from when we started to raise this money, like, t- but we hadn't raised it, and um, and talking to VCs and getting rejected. And or so we take the money at what they're offering it to us, or we just say, screw you, you guys, we don't want to be in business with you. Mm you know what we said? So this is the hard, crazy choice you have to make in life. We said, screw you. Like <laughs> you guys are evil. Like you lied to us. Like you're, we don't want you to be our partners. We don't want you on our board of directors. We don't want to actually even talk to you guys, let alone have you as investors. So we're just going to go. And we yeah. laughed. We walked away from them. And it felt really good. Like it, like emotionally, <laughs> it felt really good until we were out the door. <laughs> and then literally we were like, what do we do now? Because it was right before Christmas, like right before Christmas, all the venture capitalists go home. Like they, they, they disappear um, after Thanksgiving and they don't come back till mid-January. And we're like, we can't even like get anybody to talk to. Like nobody's gonna return our calls. They're just not investing right now. It was so stressful. Like we went back to CES, that big conference, my partner Tracy and I, after, you know a year later uh, in January. and we had no money, so we're staying in the worst sleazebag bag hotel that you could possibly afford. And we were so depressed that we would like hard, had a hard time getting out of bed and going to the conference, Like, because our company was dying. Like our, we had begged our engineers to keep working for, you know, for deferred pay. We had begged our hosting provider to keep us up and running. We, uh, you know, all our money was just going away (laughs) at this point. And we had nobody on the line. And we were just like, it's over, but we didn't stop. Like, we were just like, I was like, I'm gonna Keep, I have to keep trying, like this is our baby. Like I have to keep our baby alive. So I found this company and at the time they were called Macromedia. Today they're called Adobe. So they're Mm -hmm. Adobe today. I I met the president and I went into him and I showed him what we have. And he said, he looked at it and he said, this is amazing. Can you get this to work with our new product, Flash? They had developed Flash for the web, this, this multimedia thing. I looked at him and I said, absolutely. We, I didn't know if we could, like, but I was <laughs> like, there is no question we can get this to work with Flash. Like If you'll give us the money, like we need the money. Um, yeah. And he goes, great, but I can't invest. What do you mean you can't invest? You're the head of the venture, you know, group for this big company. He goes, I can't invest myself. You have to have a top Silicon Valley f- VC firm, make the first investment and then we'll follow. And I was like, oh. I go, he goes, but I'll introduce you to some. I was like, okay, okay, introduce me. So as soon as they start to trickle back in, uh, he takes me to Sand Hill Road, where all these VC firms are, walks me into one of the top firms. And again, everything is on the line because he is literally going to the meeting with me. And I'm like, why is he coming with me? He's, a big, he's the president of this big company. Why is he coming with me? And then I realize he's coming with me because he wants to see the reaction of this VC. If this VC torpedoes what we're doing, he's probably not going to introduce me to anybody else. Like he just won't, you know, his reputation is on the line. So literally I have to close. I have to get this VC to say yes. So I go into that pitch. I start. Selling like we're on MTV, we did all this great stuff. It's the biggest interactive TV show in history, blah, 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 blah. I don't tell him we're totally running on fumes, we're totally out of money. He never asked if he asked, I would have had to tell him, but I just didn't bring that up (laughs) because the last time they knew they were like screwed me over. So, and I asked for the same valuation we originally had, like, and I was like, and so I lay everything out. At the end of the meeting, after pitching my heart out, he is stone faced. No expression whatsoever. Just looking. At I think that's a prerequisite, right? To be in BC. <laughs> it's just then, totally then he goes, excuse me, and walks out of the room. <laughs> like, what's going on? I look at the, the president over there who brought me in and, and he doesn't know what's going on. And I was like, oh man, I blew it. So I'm waiting there for him to come back. And he comes back in, you know, it takes him a while. He comes back in and he sets down a piece of paper. And he goes, I'm not going to give you the $5 million you asked for. Thought, he goes, I'm giving you $7 million. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> $7 million more than I, I was so happy. Like at the valuation, I want it. He's like, and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, why is he doing this? It's the first meeting. Like I, I, with that other VC firm, I spent like six months talking to them and <laughs> they never gave me the money. You know, you're giving it to me like on one meeting, what's happened here? Yes. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden my brain was spinning. And I said, I know it, I had said one thing in that meeting that triggered him to do this. And I told him that, you know, this company here, they're introducing me to you and they're going to, you're the first VC that they've introduced me to that got in his head. Oh, mm. we're the first VC. That means they're going to introduce him to other VCs. Hey, you know, to get an investor, to give you money, you have to get their fear of losing the deal greater than their fear of losing their money. Like with the previous investor, they didn't feel like they had any competition, so they could jerk us around. Mm-hmm. This guy, inadvertently, I had set up this scenario, just and it was true. I, I was just telling him the truth that there are going to be other people competing for this deal, and you won't get it if you, if you don't go fast. So he literally wanted to close the deal right then and there. Now, wow. I knew that he we need the money yesterday. Like we didn't need the money. And VCTLs take a long time to close because lawyers can be pretty darn slow. Like they can, you know, um, one lawyer on either side who isn't, you know, takes a week to respond because they have other things coming. Oh, we can't wait a month to close this deal. We can't wait, a, you know, two months. We have to have this like money right in our bank now. But I didn't want to tell him that because of my previous experience. So I looked at him and I said, we don't need seven million dollars. I only asked you for five. So I'm acting very confident, although I would have loved 7 million. We don't need seven. I'll tell you what, though. I will split the difference. I will take 6 million if you can close this deal in two weeks. And he looked at me and he says, done deal. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) We literally, he he gave, we had the money in our bank account in two weeks. It saved us. And every step along the way with these companies is a roller coaster ride so all i can tell you is that if you're going to be an entrepreneur out there be prepared like you had employees stealing from you you told me and like it like totally brought down your world like yeah, it, we didn't have that uh, situation but like they're just up and down up and down <laughs> yeah
0: and like you know, I'm like your, your story is so fascinating. And throughout it, you know, it's very like you obviously talk with a lot of, of confidence about it. And now looking back at it, even though there are a lot of those downs, and those stressful moments, like you know, um, we can talk very you know quite objectively, and we can laugh about it now, right? Because it's like, well, that you know. But what got you? Um, because this is where we become remarkable, right? Where we we hit these. Um, And especially when there's these internal struggles that we have, because you're obviously very confident, you know, you, you know, how to negotiate, like, you know, that doesn't, that's, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. I don't know whether you ever, you know, felt like those, that this imposter syndrome or anything like that, but surely you would have felt things that held you back where you were like, who am I to say these things? Or who am I to like, did you face any of those internal struggles yourself throughout? First of all.
1: I may appear very confident to you now. It's because I am, but back uh, when I was younger, I was not confident at all. At the time I'm describing to you, I literally wasn't, I put it this way. I'm not an outgoing, I'm an introvert by nature. Mm -hmm. I was a very shy kid growing up, although I have over the years, uh, transformed myself not to be shy. Uh, but I was extremely shy, and at this point, you know, I was still a very shy uh, person who was awkward and was not a salesperson. Literally, like I seem like a salesperson do now, because that's who you know. Because I have you know done a lot of work on myself, like <laughs> through and had a lot of experience. But in those days, I didn't know. This is why the first venture firm thought they could walk all over us. Like it wasn't because I was Mr. Conf- if I was Mr. Confident, Mr. Cool, Mr. Great negotiator, I would have closed the deal with that first venture firm. Like I would have closed the deal. If I was Mr. Perfect, all those big deals I told you I'd lost for my first company, I would have figured out how to make them work. I c- couldn't do that. I didn't really sell to people. I just I awkwardly approached them. <laughs> 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 and I tried, you know, but the one thing I did that I did well, and the only thing I did well was I could learn from all of these mistakes, right? So yeah. when and I would make all the mistakes, and then I would look at myself and I'd say, well, what did I do wrong in the first time negotiating with those venture capital firms that didn't work? Oh, they found out I was desperate for money. Oh, they thought I was like a weak, you know, type of person that they could push around and manipulate. I can't let that happen again. So I- but then I would go on and make other mistakes. (laughs) Just so you know, it was a, it was a torturous process because there was a lot of self doubt in there. Like every step of the way, when I told you we were in Vegas and we were on the floor, like we were literally like couldn't get up out of our beds. You know, it was just, you know, we got depressed. We were like doubting ourselves. And these, I think, you know, a lot, you know there are these entrepreneurs who are just born magically adept. (laughs) maybe elon musk right natural and then i was not a natural i was one of these people who who suffers works hard uh, hits their head against a wall falls down thinks they can't get back up but somehow gets back up
0: and that's the power right that's that's the true remarkability because everything you um you described there like that's just part of the entrepreneurship journey, right? Like, you know, the the failures and the depression and the, the stresses and the frustration and, and everything goes along with it. And,
1: and yeah, you know, I'm a high anxiety person. So I'm very passionate, but I also don't handle stress well. So these stressful situations, like I'm not Mr. Cool-headed, like it was like very, you know, I might not express it to people, but it, internally it was very stressful like to be in these situations where there's so much in the balance. And you, you don't know what to do to get the outcome you want.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, but I think the remarkable, like where we find true success is when we can actually push past that, right? And we can go yes. through
1: it and so, like, can, like learn from it. My experience is that you can mess up as many times as, as you want and it's fun. It's long, it's every one of those times you can get something out of it. Get something out of that experience that will make you a little better, like not a lot better. Like these transformations don't happen overnight, you know, losing, uh, actually managing my anxiety better, uh, which I've become much, really much better at uh, these days. Like, I just don't get stressed. I'm like, Oh, if the deal works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, you look back on your life. I look back on all these stories and I'm saying, Hey, you know, I was so stressed out about those, but it didn't really affect the outcome at all, right? If anything, the, the, the stress only makes it worse. Like you make worse decisions under stress than you would if you, so why am I stressed out now? And you know, all those deals that didn't work out that seemed like they would be so transformational, I'm still here, I'm still <laughs> doing stuff. Like it didn't kill me. Like they okay. don't matter. Like after a few years, none of, none of those things that stress, you, if you look back at your own life, what was stressing you out last year, you'll be hard pressed to even remember. Like, so when you're being stressed out, remind yourself a year from now, I won't even remember this, like let alone it will be material impacting my life. And, and that's, you know, I write about this in my book, surviving a startup. And I think it's just really important for entrepreneurs uh, to have that perspective because you, the nature of being an entrepreneur is to take on enormous amounts of risk. Like if you don't take on enormous amounts of risk, you're not going to be, the risk and reward are proportional, right? So the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. Uh, And if you keep it small to limit your anxiety, to limit your, uh, the potential downside, then you're going to remain small. That, yeah. so being an entrepreneur requires that mental transformation.
0: Yes. I love that. I, um, I love the way that you put that. Um, that, yeah, if you, you're going to remain small because, and that really hits, hits home, hits home to me because I think that I struggle, I struggle with playing small um, as in.
1: You know, I think the, the downside small. for most entrepreneurs is that they do that. They like, mm-hmm. they don't want the stress. They don't want the uncertainty. They uh, want something that they can predict what will happen and have some control over. And yeah. as soon as you get all those things, you're limiting your up, you're limiting your upside.
0: I love that. Okay, we are running out of time. So I'm gonna skip. There were so many questions I wanted to ask you, but I'm just gonna go straight into the uh now with found a space. Like where is your business headed? Um, where do you self see yourself investing for growth like yeah over the next year?
1: There's never space. been a better time to be an entrepreneur, honestly. There's more capital out there, more opportunities than there've ever been before. The beauty of technology is that, like it's always evolving, it's always changing. Like there, every time a new technology emerges, which is literally happening every day now, like there's new advancements in technology. There's a new, there's it creates like thousands of new opportunities for entrepreneurs. So, um, I am looking at how w- I invest in tech companies simply because uh, they have the biggest upside and there are the most opportunities. Not that other businesses don't, but just when you bring tech into any sort of industry, it transforms it. And that's like the the field's wide open. So I am looking a lot. A lot of my best companies now are AI companies. They're performing incredibly well. I think there's still a lot of opportunities in AI. I am looking at their gene editing. It's a whole new world. Like it's literally the computer code for every living organism online. Like it is the code that it's the genetic code instead of computer code. And we can now have the tools, crude tools, to actually start rewriting genetic code. Think about that. Think about the, how huge that is.
0: Very, actually. <laughs> Dude,
1: you know, yeah. I love companies out there with recurring revenue where they can actually get a customer, hold on to that customer, keep getting money from that. Really, those are the type I'm I'm focused on. I um, hardware companies are really tough. So if you're doing like a gadget company, you know, the guys in Asia will just copy you like crazy. (laughs) Like they'll open up, you know, they'll go to the factory. They'll, it's like, I I've heard so many, I work with so many entrepreneurs, really, really tough. I, Mm -hmm. if you're an entrepreneur out there, good luck, but that's a tough business. And I've, I, it's rare when I invest in one of those kind of hardware based companies where most of the value is in the hardware. I like the software. Software is where you have more control. It's, it's really good. Other big areas for innovation, brain computer interfaces, very excited about where they're headed in the future. Like, you know, the brain is the next operating system. We're gonna like fuse that with the internet and the cloud. It's gonna totally, you think iOS and Android will be big? Wait till the first brain OS comes out. That <laughs> It connects your brain wow. to the internet. So it's gonna be enormous. A wow. uh, lots of other areas, space tech, really interesting, not that, you know, that you should be out there building the next big rocket ship, like the billionaire boys, you know, Elon Musk, you know, Branson and Bezos, you know, you don't, you know, your chance of doing that is pretty limited. Those guys are, they have the money and the names, but the ecosystem is pretty robust. So you could be building software for the space industry that can add a lot of value and have huge potential in the future. So those type of uh, areas really interesting to me, you know, the whole, there's just so many with self-driving cars and all these things, wow. automated machinery, so yeah. many opportunities.
0: Wow. That's wow. That's you've given you given everyone, I think. So. Beautiful thoughts. Thank you for sharing that. Um, this, has be, this has been so super helpful for everyone listening to this. So if anyone is interested in seeing what you have to offer, I know you have multiple books out. Um, where's the place for them, best place for them to go? Where would you like them to go first to yeah. find out if more you, about you? And
1: what if you want to reach me, super easy to reach. So foundersspace.com, founderspace.com, tons of videos there, podcasts, books, whatever you want. You can also find me On LinkedIn. Just search for Steve Hoffman or Founderspace.
0: There you go, you guys. Uh, We'll put that in the show notes as well. But I would like to thank you so much, Steve. I know I took way more of your time. Um, This is probably going to be one of the longest episodes we have on this podcast. It was just such a fascinating story and I just had so much to share. So thank you once again for being on the Remarkable Entrepreneur podcast. Uh, and for everyone else listening, uh, if you like this episode, please leave us a review, please subscribe, please share with all your friends, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to The Remarkable Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, if you are a successful online entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, then please visit go.theremarkableentrepreneurpodcast.com slash podcast dash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials and tag me. I'm at Deidre Shen. And if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media as well and let them know about the show. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. Now, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, reviews go a long, long way to help promote the show. And it means a lot to me and my team. And if you want to know more, go to our website, djshen.com. Follow me on LinkedIn, on Facebook. My Facebook group is actually called The Remarkable Entrepreneur. Uh, Follow me on Instagram at Deidre Shen. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.